Man, it's been a good night already, and we still got a stuff. We still got a ways to go. If you want to grab your Bibles and open to Romans 12, and when I said a ways to go, I mean a way. Just kidding. We're gonna we'll, we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, in Romans 12. We're in this series, uh, this practice series on community. And just as a quick reminder, practice series are not so that you would learn all kinds of nice, neat, new things. Although hopefully you will learn a few things along the way. But the idea of practice series is that we would practice them. That we would be a community. And so all of these messages and this entire process through the month of September is uh, kind of bent towards us learning to really step into community. Not a program of community, but real relationships as we connect with one another. And so uh, we've been journeying together a couple things that we've hit so far. Um, Jesus calls us to community. He calls us to community by modeling for us and inviting us in not based on what we believe or not based on how morally we live or whether we have uh, cleaned ourselves up enough, but simply because we're willing. The invitation of Jesus is for those who are willing to follow. And so you and I are invited in. Uh, we looked a couple weeks ago at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, uh, and we looked at the idea of honor, what it means for us to honor one another as a core aspect of living as a community of love, that we would honor one another and care for one another. And then uh, last week, Kevin talked to us about family, uh, about church's family. Um, he did such a great job. I was really helped uh, and challenged by lots of what he said. Hope, hopefully you were uh, as well. Uh, he was also really short, so don't expect that tonight, by the way. Um, so uh, that's, that's where we are. Um, we're going to get to the end of Romans chapter 12 today. So you can work your way there. And as you get there, I want to ask you to start with a bit of a thought it's experiment. So I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to, to capture in your mind the first thing you think about when you think about God. So when you, when you picture God in front of you, what do you picture? Do you picture a spirit? Do you picture a human form? Male, female, older, younger? Picture someone who is large, larger than life. Picture someone solitary, set off, far away. Someone who is stern and angry. Someone who is open and permissive. Is he smiling? Is he staring at you? What do you see when you see God? All right, open your eyes. What you just did, A.W. Tozer said, is the most important thing about you. That's a fascinating concept. Beginning of the book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says, what you picture when you think about God, what you think about when you think about God, is the most important thing about you. And his reasoning is this, that image that you just had will drive all kinds of ways that you act in the world, the way that you act towards one another, the way that you engage what is true and what is not true, the way that you engage the material things of the world around you, all of them are driven by the image that just came into your head. If the God that you pictured was large and strong and angry, you'll act a certain way. If the God that you pictured was an old grandfather who was just kind of rocking in the corner and giggling about everything that you did, regardless of what it was, you'll act a certain way. If the God that you pictured was a spirit that you couldn't even grab hold of, 
you'll act a certain way. And so I want to start with what will maybe be for many of you a new image of God, a different kind of image. I want to use a, uh, a, a spoken word poem set to music. So I want to ask you to listen. And uh, there'll be a couple questions on the screen to consider as you listen to this poem. He puts his hand in the small of my back, two fingers pressed into the center of my palm. He pulls me close, steps with his left, my right. I focus on his eyes and try to ignore my feet as they clumsily count one, two, three. I'm trying to trust him. He knows this dance better than me. I'm still a novice, and it's obvious I haven't learned yet to lean in and let him control the turns. He takes his time, and even when I miss a step, it's fine. He knows I'm learning. He wants me to put my hand in his, close my eyes and trust him with my life, my heart, with worry and I'm so scared, with hurt, worth and unworthy, with loving and unlovable. And my heart has been hurt before. I have been burned before, loved and endured loss before. I am in no mood for a dance, no mood to be romanced. I have become a gray cynic and love's worst critic. He sends me invitations every day and even though I have yet to RSVP, he doesn't mind me keeps pursuing and taking steps in spite of me. He is a songwriter, composing the notes that hold together eternity, and he wants to teach my limbs to sing. He's been waiting to watch me let go of woe and worry until my soul sings in that beautiful voice he gave me that I have somehow come to think is not so beautiful. To dance with him, I must give in and give up, plus the trust it takes to really love. And I want to love him unbridled, believe in him with the faith that is unshakable like tree roots centuries deep, until I learn to follow his time, take deep breaths, rest my head on his chest and my cares at his feet, that I never fare well as long as I depend on me. Take his hand, take a chance, fingertips in the palm of the one who holds galaxies in his hand, hand on his shoulder, heart in his hand. We dance to a downbeat that keeps time with his heartbeat. And sometimes it feels like he's letting me go when he's only letting me turn. And sometimes it feels like he's letting me fall when he's only letting me learn. Sometimes it feels like he's letting me go when he's only letting me turn. And sometimes it feels like he's letting me fall when he's only letting me learn. His is the song that never ends. In his love, sinners become friends. He wants to dance with you until the only song you hear is him. images of the three persons of the Trinity is the image of a dance. What's it like to imagine God as a joyful dancing being inviting you into the dance? How does that change the way that you think? The Trinity, 
as we understand God to be three persons, distinct and yet united, our community that invite us to be community. Baxter Kruger, in his book, The Great Dance, says this, the Trinity is not three highly committed religious types sitting around some room in heaven. The Trinity is a circle of shared life, and the life shared is full, not empty, abounding and rich and beautiful, not lonely and sad and boring. The river begins right there in the fellowship of the Trinity. The great dance is all about the abounding life shared by the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What you imagine when you think about God is the most important thing about you, and I want to argue tonight that it's the most important thing about how we engage one another. When we learn to live in the dance of the Trinity, we learn to live in community with one another. And so with that in mind, I want you to listen to the second half of Romans chapter 12. Uh, Paul's going to come and read for us starting in verse 9. Uh, listen to the challenge that Paul gives us to live within this kind of a dance. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we look at these words, as we submit ourselves to your word, would you speak to us? God, uh, uh, unveil your truth to us in uh, topics that can be heavy and difficult. We long for your spirit to illuminate, and so God, would you come and, and show your light into our hearts? God, would you guard my words that they would come from you alone, that the words that come from my flesh would be forgotten, they would fall to the ground and be lost, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, they would penetrate our hearts and change us, and God, that we would be more like you, and that we would love others as you love us. And so God, do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So Paul is describing to us community. So I want us to look first at what the heart of what this community really is like. What, what, are, what are we called to? And then the source of that community and ultimately the flow that God has designed within that community. So that's where we're headed. Heart of community, source of community, and the flow of community. So in verse 9, Paul is telling us that he's about to describe to us a community of love. He says, if, if you're reading out of the ESV, he says, let love be genuine. Um, there, there's a, a, that's a good translation, but there's actually, it's a negative term that Paul's using that's being translated in the positive uh, into English that way. If you have the old King James, you would have a really great translation. It would say, let your love be without dissimulation which would be great if you knew what dissimulation meant, but you probably don't, so it doesn't really help you, but it's really a, it's an excellent transition, translation. Uh, some of your translations may say, let your love be without hypocrisy. That's also a really great translation. What, what Paul's saying is, let your love be honest. Let your love be real for one another. But love is one of those things, a community of love is one of those things that's really tricky to, um, to get your arms around. It's like, well, what's it mean to be a community of love because, you know, you love, like, people and pizza. And so, like, where, where does it fall in the middle of all of that? And, and so Paul begins to unpack it for us. So if you are, uh, if you haven't been around church for a long time and your ears are tuned to the scriptures, you heard a progression that was probably really difficult. But if you've been around church for a long time, you just heard the Bible and you probably didn't pay a lot of attention. But listen, listen to what he says. Abhor what is evil, hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. All right, most of us would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know I'm supposed to do that. I mean, I, I kind of like things that are wrong sometimes, but generally I know that I'm supposed to do that. I'm good, I'm good there. Um, love one another with brotherly affection. So that's tying into what Kevin talked about last week, that we would be family with one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. That was from the week before, that we would honor one another. Um, don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. That's a great, a great image that Paul's giving us of uh, not just kind of sitting back, but jumping into this community of love, that we would love one another, serve one another, care for one another. Um, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Anybody trip on that? Because you should have. Because um, patient in tribulation. Let me just give you a quick image. 70% of the United States of America says that they're followers of Jesus. And we are called to be patient in tribulation. How we doing? Right? Like, okay, you're, we're probably not. Well, let's keep going. Um, all right. Um, be constant in prayer. Okay. Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. If you got that far, good for you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Sorry, did you guys get that? I don't know if you heard that. People who persecute you, you're called. But to be a community of love, we should be blessing people who are persecuting us and not cursing those people, but the opposite of cursing them. So you're not just supposed to ignore them, or curse them. You're supposed to bless them. So I'm sure you've sent flowers, money, gift cards to the people who hate you the most this week, but uh, if you haven't done that already, that's part of what Paul's saying here. Uh, we'll keep reading. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, it's an interesting image because what Paul's saying is your emotions shouldn't be the thing that are driving you, but the emotions of the people that you love in the community around you should be driving you. 
So it's not about whether you're happy or not. It's about whether they're happy or not. Interesting concept. Um, Live in harmony with one another. Um, Sounds just like North American church right now. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Um, Never be wise in your own sight. There are so few people today that are wise in their own sight, so you definitely see that going on. Um, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh, We're not going to deal with the the burning coals tonight. I'll deal with that in the midweek. So you can listen to that over the course of the week. I don't know if you listened or not, but as that progressed, somewhere along the way, you should have gotten to a place where you said, I can't do that. Like, you don't understand my enemy. You don't understand the people who are persecuting me. Do you know what's happening in the world right now? Right? You, you should have, somewhere along the way, it should have risen to a level where you just said, okay, I'm done. I'm out. And so we, we make one of two decisions. Either... We just completely ignore it, like, whatever, I give up. Or we, we mediate it, which is what happens most of the time. Like, um, ignore those who persecute us, and as much as we feel like it, live as peaceably as we can with everybody who doesn't really annoy us. You know, th- those kinds of ways. We, we kind of, we, we moderate it a bit because we figure, like, clearly God understands that those people are really annoying, and those people are really, really bad, and I couldn't possibly love them, Right? Or we get to a place of desperation where we say, God, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? Where do I I go from here? The heart of community, what it means to be a community of love, should drive us to a point of desperation that puts us back in the place of looking to God to help us. And so I believe the best way for us to do that is to go all the way back to the beginning. So turn to Genesis chapter 1, way at the beginning. Told you it was the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, as God is creating men and women, this is in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the bird of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The pronouns get a little confusing, right? Like, um, so you, you have the, the singular God who's creating all things, and yet he's talking about we and us in the, in the plural. He's creating man and men and women together. And, and, and there's this, uh, this sense of unity and yet diversity within that unity. And you see it played out if you go a little bit further into Genesis chapter 2. God says in verse 18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. What's happening here is that the, the God who created us in his own image has existed forever in community. The three persons of the Trinity interacting in that image of the dance have always been doing that. And this love that they share with one another 
God says, I want that for these people who've been created in my image. I want that for them. I want them to experience that very same thing. I want to invite them into that kind of life. This dance that's happening isn't a closed circle, but it's an open circle where God's inviting people in. Let us create man in our image. It's not good for man to be alone. And we could spend a ton of time in the Old Testament, we don't have time to do that, but if we go all the way to John chapter 1, so if you flip to John chapter 1, Jesus, sent by God, makes an astounding claim about himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is telling us that when Jesus came, he didn't simply come as a man born of Mary, but he came as the second person of the Trinity that has existed forever. So now this dance that has been happening in the heavens, that has been happening in, in, uh, in eternity, has come to place in time, flesh and blood on earth through the person of Jesus. Now you might say, that, that John said that, Jesus didn't say that. I mean, may, maybe Jesus doesn't really believe that. So we don't have time to go through the whole story, but if you go to John chapter 8, at the end of John chapter 8, there's a real clear statement that Jesus made. And I'll tell you how you know it's clear. This is verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is saying that he's God, and this is how we know it, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. So, you know, you can always tell religious leaders are upset when they're ready to kill you, right? And so that's, they, they, they're seeing Jesus declaring himself to be God. They're, they're, he's placed himself into this community of the Trinity. And now they're seeing it, they're recognizing it, but Jesus has come to invite us in. How do we know that? Well, John 15, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says to them, just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You've probably heard that verse lots of times, but think about that. Just as the Father has loved me. So the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity, who in perfection and in their, uh, their, their godness, right, in their uh, perfection in every single way, love each other in, in this incredible overflow of their spirit to one another, just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel quite up to that level of love, right? Jesus deserves the love the Father has given to him. He is forever in the Trinity with the three persons of the Trinity. I mean, of course, they're, they're loving each other. Now, that same love is given to us. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, some of you are saying, okay, but you haven't talked much about the Spirit. Where's the Spirit in all of this? And this is where I start to wade into things that can get to be heresy if I start, keep talking too long. You know, if you talk about the Trinity for more than about 30 or 45 seconds, you, you unintentionally speak heresy because it's like, it's like impossible to get your head around. So I'm going to rely on Augustine, if you, uh, if you know that name, uh, back in the uh, the early days of Christianity, he spent a ton of time meditating on the Trinity. He said something fascinating. I'm not sure I fully agree with him, but it's a fascinating picture. He, he said that the bond of love between the Father and the Son 
is so vital and active that that love is best described as a person, meaning the Holy Spirit. So, I, and again, I'm not sure I fully, I don't, I don't even want to say I disagree with him because I'm not sure if I even understand him, really. But, but what he's saying is this love that the Father is passing to the Son is existing forever in the Spirit. And that kind of makes sense to me because Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And in a couple verses, he's going to say, and because I love you so much, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send another counselor, the Spirit, to come and be with you. So the overflow of the love of the Father to the Son becomes the overflow of the love of the Son to his people through the power of the Spirit. Okay, so what's that have to do with the Trinity? What's that have to do with community? How does this tie in to Romans chapter 12? Well, see, what's happening here is that God, the Father, throughout the entirety of Scripture is most often described as the one who's loving, and the Son is the beloved, the one who receives the love of the Father. And so the Son, as the beloved, becomes the head of the church and loves the church with into that, that dance, that, that beautiful Trinitarian dance that's, that's unfolding. And so what, what's happening here is this, this overflow of love is an invitation for us into this, this kind of movement. Again, let me uh, give you another quote by uh, Baxter Kruger in this. Uh, he says this, the great dance is all about the abounding life, the fellowship and the togetherness, the love, the passion, the joy shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. The incarnation is the staggering act of this God reaching out to share their great dance with us. So if we circle all the way back, what happens when we get to that point of desperation? We read Romans 12. This is what it means to be a community of love. But I can't love my enemies. I don't live at peace with people. I don't really even like those people who don't like me. Like, what, 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 do, I, what do I do with that? Well, I first come back to the reality that I am loved. And until I am fully receiving the love of God, I have no chance to share the love of God. Community is sourced not in us. The source of community is not that we have a really great group of people and we like each other. That's not what generates community. What generates community isn't even your commitment to one another. Commitment's important. We're going to talk about that next week, but it's not the, it's not the most important thing. What's the source of community? The love of God himself. The love that God has, the Father for the Son, the Son for us as an overflow is the source of community, and there's this flow that God's designed. So let, let me describe the flow this way. Um, again, there are all these images that have been used over the centuries to try to get our arms around the, the invisible God that we can't quite fully grasp. The love of the Father, uh, I, I love the image, he's described as a fountain. So picture a fountain. A fountain must flow right? There has to be water coming out of it. If there's not water coming out of it, it's no longer called a fountain, right? It's called a hole, if, right? If it doesn't have water coming out of it, it's not a fountain. So a fountain, by its very definition, is flowing. And, and this image that has been given to us through antiquity is this idea that the love of the Father is flowing out. And that love that's flowing out is flowing to the Son, but it's also flowing through the Son to us as the people of God. And what's fascinating about a fountain, I don't know if you've ever seen as a fountain comes up and falls down, 
it, it, the, the water is driven by gravity, not by the worth of the rock underneath it, right? So the, you, the, the water doesn't land on the rocks that are nice, and it misses the rocks that are bad, right? The water lands on all the rocks. That's the nature of the fountain. The love of God must flow from God because that's what makes him God in essence. When you close your eyes and you think about God, what do you think about? One thing that you should think about is a never-ending flow of love that God has for us as his people through the fa- from the Father, through the Son, to us as his people. If our vision of the Father and the Son is not a vision of love, then the vision that we have is not a vision of God. Because God, by his very definition, is flowing with love to us. Mark Shaw, who is a theologian who specializes in the Trinity, um, lists four distinctive characteristics of the Trinity. I'm going to put them on the screen so you can get your head around them. He says these, these four things are always true about the Trinity. They live in full equality with one another, glad submission to one another, mutual deference to one another, and joyful intimacy with one another. So full equality, there's not an order. They are all equally God, and, and they all, even though they're distinct and do different things and have different roles and act in different ways, they're, they're completely and fully God, full equality. They gladly submit to one another. The desire of one becomes the desire of the other, and they seek to serve and, uh, and execute the will of the other. They gladly submit to one another. Mutual deference. They are more concerned about the other, what the other wants than what they want. Their concern is to make sure that they're constantly serving the other. And they're joyfully intimate. They fully know one another, and that knowledge doesn't bring a, a recoiling, but it brings a connection. Deep joy, joyfully intimate. What kind of community would those four characteristics make among a group of people? What would it look like? Just take 10 people, let alone hundreds, who are living in full equality with one another, young and old, various levels of skill, various gifts, but full equality, gladly submitting to one another. I'm more concerned about what you need than I am about what I need or what, what, what's uh, your desire than my desire. A mutual deference. My goal is to serve you and make sure your needs are met and joyfully intimate with one another as we know one another more and more, even when there are things that um, we feel like, oh my goodness, can, can somebody else really know that? We're, we're not only glad to know it, we love one another more and more as we know the ins and outs of one another's lives. What would a community like that look like? Let me read a definition for you. Love would be genuine. You would abhor what is evil. You would hold fast to what is good. You would love one another with brotherly affection. You would outdo one another in showing honor. 
You would not be slothful in zeal. You'd be fervent in the spirit. You would serve the Lord. Do you see what Paul's doing? See, the heart of Romans 12 is not to push you and I to say, that's impossible. I could never do that. I can't live like that. Are you kidding me? Like, there's crazy people in this world. The heart of Romans 12 is to drive us back to Jesus so we would recognize, I can't do this, but not only can Jesus do it, listen, if we're following him, he must be doing it because it's what makes him God. The flow of the love from father to son, the flow of the love from the son to the spirit, like a fountain, if that flow's not happening, it's not a fountain. If the God that you picture is not a God of love that's overflowing with love for you, that creates in you an overflow of love to the people around you, that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is flowing with love for us. And just like that fountain flows from one rock to the next to the next, the dance of the Trinity is open to the people in the world around us, to the people who are unlike us, to the people who we disagree with, to uh, the the enemies that are persecuting us, the people that frustrate us, the dance of the Trinity opens up to them. Why? Because the Trinity opened up to you, opened up to me. You were invited into the dance. And so that image of this this beautiful dance is God inviting us in so that we would invite the rest of the world in. So back to a, 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 a thought again. Close your eyes one more time. Now, picture a joy-filled dance. The quality, deference, love for one another flowing freely from person to person. And picture what it looks like that you're invited in. And picture what it looks like that the people around you, through you, are invited in. That we get the privilege of not just dancing with the Father, Son, and Spirit, but inviting other people into that dance. As you open your eyes, I think there are probably a couple different ways that that lands on you. For some of you, you will maybe wrestle for the next evening or the next week, or maybe it's a a journey of weeks and months to really believe what the Bible says is true, which is that Jesus loves you that much. He loves you that much. He knows your whole story. He knows all the stuff. He knows all the reasons why you don't think he should. And he's saying, come and dance. I'm inviting you in. I, I want you to be here. I know, I know all the stuff. I know all the reasons. I want you to be here. 
And so for some of you, the way that you have to respond is to first accept the love that God has for you. you. You and I will never live in true loving community if we don't first receive the love of God. We'll live it for a period of time as much as we can handle, but we'll never live in the kind of biblical community that we're called to if we don't first receive the love of God. So for some of you, it just it has to start there. And there's, you, you can stop listening. If that's where you are, stop listening now because you don't have to worry about the other stuff yet. You got you to start there. But for some of you, you've gotten there and now your challenge is, I receive the love of God and the people around me who think like I do should too. But there's other people who probably shouldn't because they're bad people. They're messed up. And so you're invited into a wrestling match with God when he begins to show us actually they're as messed up as you are. <laughs> you're as messed up in different ways, maybe, or the same ways, and God's just redeemed it. So for some of us, it's that step that says, I, I'm going to love the people around me like Jesus does regardless of how I feel about it, and for you, that may be where you wrestle this week. And so for a third group of you, maybe there's uh, another application because you've even gotten to at least most of that or at least what's out in front of you. And now your prayer is, is a, a simple but difficult one. Simple to pray, difficult to live. Which is, who are the people around you that need to be invited into the dance? And those may be people who are sitting here. Those may be people who are in your neighborhood, who are far from God. They may be people at work. They may be the people who everybody else is looking the other way. Who, when they ignore them, you walk toward them. If you've gotten to the place where you recognize the dance is for everybody, then now you're invited to be that vehicle where the fountain flows through you to the world around you. So I believe all of us are in one of those three places. Either truly believing that God loves you that much, allowing God to break down the walls that separate you from the people around you, or becoming the conduit of the Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you to respond that way. Wherever you find yourself, I'm going to ask you to start to pray into that. And so as we, we respond, I'm going to ask the team to come back up. And as they come up, we're going to uh, sing a, a song that's, that's a bit meditative, and it allows you to kind of get to that space of saying, um, God, remind me of what's true about me. And especially for those of you who are in that first category, and I think this is the, the biggest majority of any church, we struggle to receive the love of God. I want you to really listen to that song. And if you need to say, if you need somebody just to pray into that with you, uh, these front corners are open for that. I would love for, if you move there, uh, someone will move there to, to pray with you. And so I'm not going to send people up there because once I send them up there, then you don't know, like, are those the people who are praying with me? Are those the people who want to be prayed for? Or you get confused. So um, we'll just, if you, if you want to be prayed for, move up there, and someone will very quickly move there to pray with you. If you're at the place where you're saying, I, I don't love people like that. I know God might, but I don't love people like that. And that's going to be now the invitation for you as we transition to a, a final response song where, where you can say, God, reorient my life to, 
to be built that way. That I would, would live into the plan that you have. And if you're in that place where you're saying, God, show me, this is a great time as we worship to just close your eyes and say, God, who's the next person? Who do I need to go love and what's that look like? And so for all of you, wherever you are, I want to invite you to respond. The God of the universe is dancing and inviting you in. And so let's dance with him. Jesus, would you meet us where we are? And would you speak your truth to us? Remind us of what's true. And as we hear it, Help us to really, truly enter into it. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening in Jesus' name.